If you're a Christian coach, speaker, or influencer, this is the right place. You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for biblical encouragement, spirit-led wisdom, and practical ideas as you answer God's calling to increase your authority by becoming an author. I'm Mika Maples, and I can help you write your next book so that you can take your business to the next level while advancing the kingdom and transforming people in Jesus' name. This is episode 134, Don't Let Your Book Become Your Baby. Today's episode is a peek inside a coaching call from my exclusive coaching membership, Anointed Writers. If you've been lagging and making serious progress with your book, maybe it's because you have misplaced affections toward it. Trust me, your book is not that precious, and neither is mine. All right. I'm so glad you guys are all here. I have so many good things to share. I think this is really going to bless you. All right. We're going to talk really briefly about when your book is your baby, because I hear this all the time. In fact, I've been doing a lot of interviews and coaching sessions over the last two weeks. And I mean, so many times this came up. That people were like, oh, my, but my book is like my child. My book is like my, you know, my, my baby. And, and they feel such strong emotions where their book is concerned. So I think this is a beautiful chance to talk about whether or not that is a helpful thought to think. We know that our thoughts are optional. And you can choose whether you think your book is your baby or not. And we'll decide whether thinking of your book as a baby and your baby is a helpful thought to think. Okay, so let's start with a good question, a good solid question. What is the healthiest way to look at your book? What is the healthiest way to look at your book? I want you to know that when you ask your brain a positive question, it will give you a positive answer. When you ask your brain a negative question, it will give you a negative answer. Let me give you an example. So if we say like something, if we're trying to, let's say, clean out our desk, because right now we can't find the papers that we're trying to find in our desk. If we ask our brain a negative question like, why am I so disorganized? It's never going to give you a positive answer. It's always going to give you a negative answer. So if you say, why am I so disorganized? It will give you a very hurtful answer. Your brain will offer that back. Something that is an insult, like just because you're an idiot. I mean, that's the kind of thing it will will answer for you. A positive way to ask that question is, hmm, how can I organize my desk and still have fun doing it? Now, that's a positive question. And if you ask your brain, hey, you know what? I'm not finding these papers, so I'm going to ask myself, how can I organize my desk and have fun doing it? Your brain will come up with a positive answer. I like to ask myself positive questions before I go to sleep at night. 
Research shows, studies show that whatever the very last thing that we think before bed, our brains actually marinate on it and come up with an answer a lot of times by morning. Sometimes we will dream about it as our brain processes. And so if you, if you really have a problem, like a disorganized desk where you can't find your passport, you can't find your, you know, your child's birth certificate, you can't find things that you value, then ask yourself before bed, how can I organize my desk and have fun doing it? Ask yourself a few nights in a row. Ask yourself until your brain offers a positive answer. So that can be applied to anything. Whenever we say, why can't I just write on this book that's phrased negatively, even though it sounds sort of neutral, why can't I write on this book? It's posed in a negative way. And your brain will offer a negative answer, such as, because you don't have what it takes. That's why. But if you pose a positive question to your brain and say, hmm, how can writing this book be a pleasure to me? Your brain will find a positive answer for you. Because God brilliantly designed our brains to run on evidence. He has brilliantly designed our brains to run on evidence. But here's the thing. Our spirit, and this is what non-Christians don't know. They don't know this. They just feel like a victim of their brain's programming. They just feel like a victim of their thoughts. They have no idea that the spirit that God has given us communes with his spirit. And that's where we get superior programming. That's how we override our flesh. So by the spirit, we get all the messages from the flesh, like you're no good at this, blah, blah, blah. And then our spirit can override that programming and look for, instead of looking for negative evidence, like you're always bad at being organized. You, you've always been disorganized. Your brain brilliantly is runs on evidence. So if you think of yourself as disorganized, your brain's going to be like, yeah, we have lots of evidence. Remember that time your college roommate told you you were disorganized? Mine did, by the way. Remember that time when, you know, you lost this paper and blah, blah, blah. Remember that time when you lost the Texas Rangers tickets and you couldn't go to the baseball game right before you were supposed to leave? That happened to my mom. So there's lots of things that we would look at for evidence of disorganization if we wanted to. But your spirit can override that and look for positive evidence. Wait a second. Let's look for evidence of times when we have actually been organized. Let's look for times when we could put our hands on that piece of paper. Let's look for times when things worked in our favor. We can do that on purpose. So by asking yourself a positive question, your brain will find evidence to prove a positive answer. I'm so thankful that the Lord has designed our bodies this way. Because if you don't know the power of the spirit to override the flesh, then you get exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 7. I was just talking with someone about Romans 7 today and how he, Paul says in Romans 7, why do I do what I don't want to do? Y'all are all familiar with Romans 7. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And the things that I 
don't want to do, wait, the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do do. And it's craziness. But if you leave Romans 7 and never turn the page to Romans 8, you've missed the greatest opportunity. Because in Romans 8, it says, the spirit has no obligation to the flesh. Read Romans 7 and then read Romans 8 right afterwards. You'd be like, woo, freedom. The spirit overrides the flesh. So you're always going to wrestle with your thoughts, but the spirit overrides the flesh. I say all of that to say we got to be really attuned to the thoughts that are fleshly that derail us. And I would submit to you that thinking of your book as a baby may be one of those fleshly or worldly thoughts that is not helpful to us. And we would be better off allowing the Holy Spirit to override that programming. And we can ask our brain the positive question, what is the healthiest way of looking at my book? And it will provide for us a positive answer. Here are three reasons why thinking of your book as your baby is not healthy. This is a non-judgmental space. If you've been thinking of your book as a baby, no problem. If you have been referring to your book as a baby, if you've I don't want you to be like, last week I talked to Nika and I told her my book was my baby. What she think of me? Nothing. I think nothing, except that you're exactly like everyone else. I have, I mean, I cannot tell you how many people this week have, I've heard them refer to their book as their child or their baby. And even somebody who's like, well, I listened to one talk by a uh, New York Times bestselling author who has eight New York Times bestsellers, and she's calling them all her babies. She's not a Christian, but she's calling all of them all her babies. And I'm like, I just don't know about that. I think she may have a very unhealthy view of the whole thing. So here are three reasons why thinking of your book as a baby is not healthy for you. Number one is rejection. When you think of your book as your baby, it increases the sting of rejection, making it unbearable. Because I have walked into half price books and I have seen my books on the shelf. And some of them are signed and dedicated to somebody. It's like somebody walked up to me and I, will you dedicate this to my friend or like and, and sign it? And they gave it to their friend and their friend still took it to half price books. I've seen that. So if those were my babies, can you imagine what that would do to my heart? I'd be like, oh, all my babies, all my babies were put up for adoption, every single last one of them. Now, wait a second. That's not what that means. Because all it is are pages. Somebody can adopt those books and that's fine. A book is not a human. Those books, when somebody no longer has room on their shelf, when somebody's already read it, or maybe somebody tried to read it and they never connected with it, so they never finished it, they can pass it on to another person. It's no problem. It's just some pages. It's just pages with, with words on them, words that represent ideas. No problem. All right, so let's go one step further and say this. There, not only sometimes you're going to see it on the half-price bookshelf, you'll see it on the garage sale table. 
I saw my book on a garage sale table for 25 cents. I'm like, you know what? That is worth a whole lot more than 25 cents to me. That took years of my life. Well, if I were thinking this is my baby, it's like, my baby, somebody saying my baby is only worth 25 cents. I'm like, no, that's not what that means. It doesn't mean anything except that that person was ready to create some space in their bookshelf or wherever, whatever. Next, I've seen my book in the trash. <laughs> if you think my baby's in the trash, it's, it's going to hurt. Because then they're not even allowing someone to take it home. They're not even allowing somebody else to claim your book. They're like, we don't even want anyone to have this book. It, it hurts too much. It's just a piece of paper. Okay, so the second reason that you probably could, should, you're better off maybe not thinking of your book as your baby is not only because of rejection, but because the direction you're headed, I'm hoping, is to learn under my leadership. I'm, I'm wanting to equip you where you can write books whenever you want. And you may have more than one. So the direction you're going is forward, ahead. So if you think of your book as your baby, it decreases the chances that you will ever create more babies. Your one book might be an only child. If you keep thinking of it as your baby, because it's like, oh, that took me so long to deliver that baby. It took me 12 years to deliver that baby. I'm never going to have another one. Instead, you can be like, you know what? I can create books anytime I want to because they're just pages filled with words. Then you're not like giving birth to this thing. It's much too much weight for a book to carry. In fact, here's one of my books. There's some pages with my words on them. See this? It's a little, for those of you who are listening to the podcast and can't see this, this is like a little legal pad. I got a book in one hand and a legal pad in another. This is also pages with my words on them. We got pages with my words on them, pages with my words on them. Why is one my baby and one not? Should I start calling this legal pad my baby? (laughs) It's just pages with words on them. This is not created to carry my heart. So I don't want to put that much on. It's too much for that book to to, to handle. The third reason it may not be a good idea for your book to be your baby because of rejection, because of direction, the way you're going, and drumroll, please, because of affection. See, here's the deal. When you think of your book as your baby, it turns your affections to your book, making it the object of this instead of just a project. And when your affections are on your book, then it's an idol because it cannot speak. It cannot, it cannot respond. When people are like, oh, they often say to me, oh, I know that book is your baby. I'm like, you know what? It's not because it's not going to take care of me when I'm old. It's not going to put food in my mouth. It's not going to walk me to the bathroom. It's not going to do all the things that you do for a person who is your parent. So I'm not, I'm not putting my future on that book. 
the way I might say to my children, I sure hope you take care of me one day. Those books cannot respond to me. They're not going to give me a call. They're not going to laugh at my jokes. They don't have a soul. That's the difference. A baby has a soul. A baby is launched into eternity. A baby has has the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't die for this. He died for human beings to be saved. So anything that Jesus cannot breathe the Holy Spirit into, he can bless this with the Holy Spirit, but he can't breathe. Like this is not a carrier of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit breath. So it's just an idol if I start treating it like it is. So we go back to that positive question that we're going to ask our brain. So what is the healthiest way to look at my book? Because rejection won't hurt as badly if you look at your book in a healthy way. Affection won't be misplaced if you look at your book in a healthy way. Here are a couple of thoughts I have about this after years of writing. I'm like, you know what? Here's the deal with rejection. When I walk into Target, I don't see anyone but very bothered if I walk past an outfit that I don't like. I can walk past it. I don't really like it. That's fine. Nobody throws a fit. They're not like, that was my favorite outfit that I put out for you to buy. Why did you not choose to buy my outfit that I put out there for you? People who run stores or boutiques, whether they're biggest target or is maybe a little, you've seen people who run a small boutique who might even have more personally invested in the items in their store. Still, I've never seen, when I go into one of those boutiques, I've never seen anyone say, I'm so hurt that you did not buy that scarf. I'm so hurt. That scarf was my baby and you don't want it. I mean, rejection changes if you're like, I'm just hosting readers. I'm offering something that I created and made. And people shop, people shop. And when they shop, they have the right to like something or dislike something. They can take it home and try it on and bring it back if they don't want it. They can take it home and see if it fits with their decor, their life. And then they can sell it in a garage sale after a while. It's not a big deal to anyone. It's fine. And then as direction, as far as moving forward, I mean, my goodness, I want to think of myself as a creator. I want to think of myself as a maker. You know, that was a popular term a couple of years ago. There are people who are makers. I want to think of myself as a maker. So if I think of myself as the parent of a book, goodness knows I'm only going to have a few. And even those of us who have a lot of kids still don't ever have more. I don't hear many people who ever have more than 10 kids or 12. Well, like I seriously have my sights set on having 25 books and I could never have 25 kids direction and moving forward. I don't want an only child. I want to be able to think of my books as these projects that I make wonderful pieces of art. I make these projects and I can make more where that came from. And the more I make projects, the more my projects will get better. I can make as many as I want. And then also our affections. Jesus is honored when our affections stay on him. And when the things that he does through us are just projects. 
They're just extensions of the kingdom. They're just what he's doing on earth. They're just things that ways to serve. And that's beautiful because our affections stay on him. I honestly can't think of another profession where there is so much attachment to the creation. I know that my friend has a bakery and she doesn't think of her cookie. She makes cookies that are out of this world. They're gorgeous and they taste delicious. And I've never heard her refer to them as her babies. Never. She makes at Christmas time, I think she makes like, I, I, did she make 900 dozen less? I, something like that. She's moving forward. She can create as many as she wants because she's not attached to them. And there are people who take one bite of her cookies and probably throw it away and it's fine because she's just doing what she's born to do. So I have two stories that I wanted to share that made me smile because I was like, what stories do I have about, I'm so glad I don't think of my book as a baby. One time on Twitter, this was right after, and I'm not even on Twitter anymore, but when it first came out, I thought maybe I should do Twitter. And I was on Twitter and it was right after my memoir, 12 Clean Pages came out and a school had, a Christian school had said, we want all our kids to read this as part of freshman, like the freshman English class. Because, of course, it's it's a book that's focused on God, but they it's a Christian school. So they're like, well, every, every student that comes to our classes are going to read this book. Well, I was like, that's amazing. That's like, I'm an English teacher. So that's an English teacher's dream is that your book would be adopted into the curriculum for a, a campus. But because it was part of the curriculum, a lot of the students hated it. And one time I saw on Twitter, this girl had said, I can't get past, I think it was like page 112. I can't get past page 112 in this stupid book, 12 clean pages. Then she put like just a smiley face emoji with a gun to its head. And this is before they changed the uh, emojis to like a green squirt gun. It was like a real pistol, a real black pistol like gun to its head. The only reason I found it is because she made the hashtag 12 clean pages. I was like, wow. I took a screenshot of that Twitter thing. And I said, I'm keeping this for always. I want to remember that there's this girl one day who like was like, shoot me now this buck. And I had put so much hope and promise on the people are going to love this. And here's this girl who's like, I can't get past page 112, shoot me now. And I'm like, I need to remember this, that people are always going to have crazy reactions to your book. Crazy in love with it and crazy in hate with it. And so what? Because it's not your baby. It's just a project. And a lot of times the reason somebody doesn't like your book is because they aren't ready to hear what the Lord's saying to them through it. That is the truth. A lot of times when somebody puts your book down or says they don't like it or all of that, it's because they weren't ready to hear the truth that you spoke in it. That's not your problem. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. So here's the other thing. Okay. Kind of unrelated, but kind of related. Okay. So I do like doing crafts and things. And for a while, I would like... I had lots of side little businesses along my life of doing these crafts on the side. And I had this one booth one year at this holiday market. You know, when you have like 
crafters come to a booth and maybe in a high school gym or in a church or whatever. So there's this holiday market years ago. I mean, not years and years ago. I think I was 29. So it's not like I was a teenager. I should have known better. But I'm, I have really good handwriting. I have like really artistic script and cursive. So I bought all these items like a vase or a plate charger or a wall hanging. This is before handwritten stuff was really popular. I hand wrote all these Christmas sayings, all this stuff. And then for a lot of them, I would fill it with like, I would fill it with ribbons, sparkly ribbons or string of lights, whatever the item was. Well, there was this one. (laughs) Oh, my family laughs about this. It's one of my brother's favorite stories. I made a big vase, a huge vase, huge vase. And I wrote some poem or phrase, something Christmassy on it. And it was transparent, this, this vase. And I filled, <laughs> I filled it with peppermints because I was like, this looks so Christmassy, this huge vase. And it's filled with peppermints. And this woman bought it. I remember how much it cost. It was $40. She paid $40 at my booth to buy this vase that I had written on in paint pen that was filled with peppermints. And as she walked away, I heard her turn to her friend. Y'all, this is what I had done. I did not, I was so cheap in those days and so focused on, not focused on the customer experience. I was focused on, let me just finish this one craft. So I had filled the vase with Sonic mints. Like I, all my mints that I had gotten from Sonic. Uh, I mean, like I had tons and tons and tons of Sonic mints that said on the wrapper Sonic. And I was like, oh, I could dump these in the vase. I was finishing up all my crafts for the booth at like early in the morning, like two in the morning. And I was like, I'll dump these in the vase. She had paid $40 for this vase. And as she walked away, she was like, oh my goodness. She sold me a vase full of Sonic mints. Okay. I felt so humiliated. I was like, I did. What kind of a weirdo am I? Why would I go buy brand new mints? (laughs) Giving her my Sonic mints. Okay. I say that to say, if that vase had been my baby, I was like, that was my beautiful creation. Once she walked away and she was like, what on earth? This is filled with Sonic mints. I would have been like, so hurt that she thought of it that way. Instead, I took it as constructive criticism. I'm like, wow, I did not create a good customer experience. She still did get a high quality vase with great handwriting on it. It was still worth $40. It was a huge vase. She's still worth $40. She didn't need her money back, but I did not create a good customer experience by not getting her fresh mints. So I'm like, note to self, you have got to care about the way people perceive what you're creating. You have got to give them the best experience you possibly can. You're a daughter of the highest king. God's not putting sonic mint blessings in your life. He gives his mercies are brand new every morning. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the kind of heart we have to have when we're writing. 
There are people who are going to walk away and feel like we did a shoddy job with our project. And we have to be open to that criticism. If an editor tells you this needs some work, if it's your baby, that's going to hurt too bad. But if you're like, hey, you know what? You're right. I could have done that better. And I'm going to do that better. Give it back to me. I'm going to work on it. What an editor says is helping you become a better creator. An editor should have told me, you don't put sonic mints in something you're selling. You dork. (laughs) And so I'm just telling you, thinking of your book as a project that other people will help you make better, it makes you less defensive about it. Are you subscribed to my YouTube channel yet? I love creating weekly lessons that will bring value and insight to you about your writing, publishing, and book marketing journey. When you listen to my podcast, you learn through your ears. But when you watch my YouTube channel, you learn through your eyes and ears, making double the impact in half the time. See you over on YouTube.